Hi, Season Singles. This is your host, Angela Hines, and I am so glad to be back with you guys today. It has been such a challenge to get settled in to the new changes that have happened because of COVID-19. But I want to say thank you so much for taking time to allow me to adjust and I know that we've missed a week or two, but hey, don't you worry about it because our show today is going to make up for it. I also want to let you know that you are being prayed for. It is hard to be single when you live alone, you don't have family around, uh, and you just can't have that physical closeness with people that you care about. So that's why today's topic is so important. Okay, before we jump into this episode, let's do a brief recap. We started a series just before COVID-19 hit, and in episode 9, if you haven't checked it out, you need to do so now, we talked about how are we stewarding this time where we don't have the pressures and the stress of marriage? What are we doing? And I identified that there are five decisions that we have to make in order to steward our season of singleness well. The first decision we have to make is to take an honest assessment of who we are, where we stand, and what we need to work on. In episode 10, we decided that we would live like no one else so that we can live like no one else. In that episode, I interviewed Candy Landers. Candy shared with us her debt-free journey and how she was able to save over $10,000 for her emergency fund. Today in episode 11, we will make the decision that sex can wait. Oh yeah, we talking about sex, baby. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You want to know why? Because There are lots of our followers and listeners who are divorced and they're single again. Now, I'm sure those brothers and sisters need some encouragement on how to be single again and not indulge in in sex. Like you've turned it on, it's supposed to stay on, but now you got to turn it off. That's rough. And then you have the other side of the pendulum. Those of us who've never been married before... We really desire to be married, but there's just not a whole lot of people out here trying to stay that kind of holy. Like, they want to lay some hands, and I ain't talking about no holy hands. So, how do you not compromise your purity when you're this old? And you know that, hey, you're dating someone who's divorced, so we already know what they've indulged in. Y'all, this is going to be a great encouragement for all of us. Our guest today is none other than Rob Koloski. Now, Rob is an author, he's a coach, he runs a nonprofit, and he used to be a stripper. Yep, that's right, you heard it. He used to be a stripper. Until the day he heard the voice of God. Guys, this is a magic mic meets Jesus on the way 
to Vegas. <laughs> it's going to be so great. I cannot wait for you guys to jump in. So grab your pens, grab your notebooks and your journals because he is dropping knowledge today. And ladies, we need to hear this from men and men, you need to be encouraged by his journey. Are y'all ready? All right, let's go. All right, guys, I am here with Rob Kowalski, the author of Why Waiting Works. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thanks for taking time out to join us. All right, so the first thing I want to ask you to do is give uh, the listeners some insight to your background. Sure. So uh, my name is Rob Kowalski. I was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. My mom was uh, 14 years old when she got pregnant with me. And, you know, against the advice of some people that, told her to have an abortion. Fortunately, she didn't listen. She decided to have me. And I, uh, you know, obviously I wouldn't be here otherwise, but she raised me pretty much on her own. My dad was never in the same state as I was. So, you know, she, she had an eighth grade education and she worked, uh, you know, a job or two pretty much my whole childhood. So I just raised myself for the most part, never really had a male, a male role model around just kind of figured out what it meant to be a man from watching television and movies for the most part. Yeah. And, you know, I, I guess that made me fairly insecure. And from the time I was probably about the time I hit puberty, I can remember thinking if I, if I could be good with girls, that would really validate me as a man. I mean, I didn't have that conscious thought, but I just thought that's what it meant to be a man. It was like, like I, you know, if you could get girls, you were a man. Yeah. At least that's what the television and movies for the most part, told, told me. So, uh -huh. you know, I remember when I was 15 years old, I came home from playing outside one day and I saw a videotape laying on the coffee table that my mom and her friends had rented. I didn't know what it was. I walked over, I grabbed it, I walked over to the television or the VCR, I popped it in. Some people know what the v, uh, VCR tapes are out there. <laughs> um, but all of a sudden on the television screen were male strippers. And I remember thinking, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Huh. But from the time I was about 15 years old, I, my dream was to be a male stripper. Like other kids want to be cops and astronauts. Yeah. <laughs> my dream was to be a male stripper. It's true. It's funny now because I think about it. I'm like, it's, it's comical. But so I, not long after that, I became sexually active. Uh, you know, I think I was 16 years old when I lost my virginity. Mm -hmm. And when I was 19 years old, my, my four-year dream of becoming a stripper came true. I started working for an entertainment agency in Baltimore. <clears throat> and then I started working for more agencies. And over the next few years, I became like the number one stripper in my city of, of Baltimore. I was working for every entertainment agency. I was in the phone book. I was dancing with groups, reviews, and I was making a, you know, a lot of money. I was popular. I, women came easily to me. And I, I, you know, I thought for the most part, I had everything that I could ever want. Yeah. But I, I really started to see the consequence of this lifestyle, specifically in my relationships with women. And they would always start one of two ways. I would either, we would, we would have sex quickly and I would either lose interest immediately or sometimes we would continue sleeping together and we would drift into a relationship, but it was never really that good. Mm -hmm. And then when we eventually broke up, it would be very messy and I, I would stay in the relationship probably longer than I should or they would stay longer with me than they should have. And my first girlfriend, uh, I, I, we met when I was 20 years old. We had sex on the first date continued sleeping together, drifted into a relationship, felt like something was missing. I kind of tried to ignore it. I eventually started looking at pornography, thinking that might fill the void that I was feeling. 
eventually I even started to cheat. And this went on for four years mm-hmm. to the point, it got to the point where I felt so smothered and, and unhappy, but really stuck in the relationship for whatever reason mm-hmm. that I, I worked up the courage to go home to her one day and tell her, I'm not sure if I'm in love with you. <clears throat> it was literally the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life up until that point. Yeah. She broke down and started crying. I broke down and started crying. But about a month later, we broke up and she ended up starting dating someone else. And to my surprise, it threw me into a deep depression because mm. all of a sudden, you know, this girl that I'd been with for four years was now dating someone else. And I was convinced that I had to have her back. So I started pursuing her, calling her, to, you know, messaging her. And, and eventually she agreed to come back to me. She left that guy and she came back to me. And it was amazing for about two weeks <laughs> and it went right back to the original dynamics where we were, you know, if something was missing and, you know, I'm looking over my shoulder at other women wondering if I could be happier with them. Mm-hmm. So we did this app lasted another year again until I went, went home one day, told her, you know, I, I just don't, I'm just not sure if we're in love. And she started crying and I started crying. Not long after that, we broke up. She started dating someone else. Guess what happened to me? Depression. Got really, got really mm-hmm. depressed again. And this time I was so depressed. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go all in. Like as I was hurting so bad, I said, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. We'll get engaged. I'll quit stripping. Whatever you want, please just come back to me. I, and I knew I was caught in something, but mm-hmm. I just didn't have any control over it. I didn't know mm-hmm. what soul ties were back then. I just uh-huh. knew I was caught in something that I, I couldn't control myself. So fortunately for both of us, she didn't come back to me. She ended up marrying the guy she was dating at that time. And I remember after that, I was like, I, again, I was like, I don't know what that was. I don't know what, what I was just caught in, but I was like, I am not getting caught in that rela- this relationship trap again. I was like, yeah. I just want to be free. I want to be single. And I started promoting nightclubs. So basically I took over the nightlife in Baltimore. I was like the nightlife king for a while. And, and I was opening clubs and I was making more money and I was even more popular. And I, was, I had more women. And, mm-hmm. I, and again, I was like, I'm not getting... I, you know, I wasn't looking for anything, any kind of commitment or anything like that. I just wanted to be free, free and date. <clears throat> and until my second relationship, which was not long after that, and it, it started the same way. We had hmm. sex quickly, drifted into a relationship, felt like something was missing, looking at other women over my shoulder. Eventually, I'm looking at pornography. Eventually, I'm cheating. And I remember thinking, maybe something's wrong with me because right. maybe maybe I'm just not like a one woman man or maybe human beings aren't supposed to be monogamous. That was, those were the kind of thoughts I I remember having. All I knew was I could not make myself feel completely fulfilled in the relationship or only have eyes for them. And I really wanted to because they were great girls and I loved them. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't in love. Right. And I, and I couldn't understand why this, you know, this pattern kept happening until March of 2000. And I was in Cancun, Mexico with a group of friends. We were there for spring break, partying our faces off. And I heard God's voice for the first time in my life. And what he said to me was, basically, he said, if you start doing relationships my way, you'll be able to find true love. Mm. And it was radical. It was a radical realization because I had never even considered the fact that the problem wasn't me. The problem was how I started all my relationships. Yeah. At this point in time, what was your relationship with Christ like? I had none. I didn't even know that God was real. Okay. I, so I, I had some exposure to Christianity as a kid, 
Mm-hmm. And I would go to church, this church that was in my neighborhood. My, my mom didn't go. So, you know, I would go to church just to hang out with other kids, but I would come home and it, it never really stuck. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I, I think I had three years of Christian school. My uncle was a strong believer and he put me in Christian school, but because I didn't have the, I didn't have it at home, it didn't really stick. Uh-huh. And I remember from living the way that I was for so long, I would see people praying and I would wonder, I don't know if anybody's really listening, you know, like I just, I, cause you start to believe evolution and all this, all the other stuff you hear. And I, so I had no relationship with God whatsoever. The only time I thought about him was a fleeting thought of something like, you know, I wonder if, I wonder if anybody's really listening, like or, but zero relationship. My God was pleasure. That's good. So when I was, but he was, it was a road to Damascus experience for me because when he flicked it on, it was undeniable. Like there was no way I could have pre- even pretended like it didn't happen. Like uh-huh. I was just completely aware that Jesus was who he said he was and he had a plan for my life. So yeah. I did this radical 180. I went from being the most promiscuous person I knew in my city. I mean, I was like probably the biggest man whore in my city to being completely absent for the next six years, waiting for you know, God to give me a wife. Cause that was what I thought. I thought, you know, okay, look, if you don't sin for long enough, he's got to send you somebody. <laughs> right. you know? And I remember praying when I first started the journey, I, I didn't understand the concept of waiting at all. It, it didn't even make sense to me. I thought sex is like a massage. We're making each other feel good. Why would we wait? Mm-hmm. And that's how most men think now. So I started really for selfish reasons because I knew what I was signing up for with Christianity, that it's, mm-hmm. you know, basically you're, you know, you're going to be committed to one, one, one man, one woman. So, and I, I don't pick them well myself. I knew that, you know, I'm going to choose for the wrong reasons. Obviously my relationships aren't, you know, they're not working. So let, let, let's let God send her to me. And I thought, again, if I didn't sin long enough that he would do that. And for, so for six years, I basically, I, 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 I kind of isolated myself. I went to church on Sunday. I cut off all my old friends. And mm-hmm. then I just kind of went to a lot of movies on the weekends because I was trying to just not sin. So but over, and I didn't really think it was going to be long, to be honest. I thought it was going to be maybe a month. I thought, you know, like after about a month, he's got his, cause I said that, I remember having this conversation. That's what I wanted to say. As I said, God, I'm going to wait, but you better hurry. Cause you know, I can't wait long. <laughs> I literally remember saying that to him. So I thought it was going to be like a month and it turned into six years. And over that time, I really, two things happened. One, I started to understand some of the some of the values of waiting that I didn't understand before. But the second thing is I understood how this problem that existed, like, you know, when you come to Jesus, it, you know, how hard it can be if you don't mm-hmm. have community. You know, yes. I had a great church on Sundays, but they weren't doing a lot outside of Sundays. And I was struggling bad. I felt like an alien in the world. There's just like nobody out here mm-hmm. like me. I'm like, where are the cool Christians? That's what I was looking for. Yeah. And I was going to Christian coffee houses and trying to find a group. And there was just like nothing out there. I remember going to this Christian coffee house and there's this little kid crawling around under the table and they're just sitting there at these like round plastic tables. And I'm like, this is what y'all do for fun on Fridays for real. <laughs> right. So I'm like dying, you know? So I find that that's really when I kind of switch my whole thing. I'm just gonna, I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to wait, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. going to go to a lot of movies, stay out of trouble. And what would happen is every three months or so I'd get so pent up with energy, wanting to be around people. I'd go out to the bars, I'd meet my old friends, I'd drink too much, a girl would flirt with me, I'd get scared, mm-hmm. and I'd stay in for another three months because I didn't want to sin. And yeah. it was this pattern for six years, the same thing. So literally, the year was 2006, I you know, got so burnt out on the whole thing, I just decided to give myself more freedom. And I was like, I'm gonna kinda, I need a social life, I can't do this anymore. So I started going to the bars because that was really the only place I knew there would be people that I could relate to. 
you know, yeah. even though they, they weren't making the same decisions as me. And I honestly thought I could make a difference from the inside. That was my plan. Yeah. I actually had a, I had a small group that used to meet in a nightclub. And um, so it was, and that was great for, it was good for about three to six months. And mm -hmm. then, you know, I was drinking at the time still and, and I slept with a girl. I broke my six year streak. And mm -hmm. then about a month later, I slept with a second girl. And then some people in the group found out about it because I didn't tell anybody. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, they judged me very harshly. I stepped down from leading the small group. And once I stepped down and I'd already, you know, had, you know, I was, I was actually working in the, the bars a little bit again. And I just spiraled. I started making mm -hmm. a bunch of bad decisions to the point where over the course of the next several years, five years to be, be exact, I almost ended up as where I started from. I was almost that bad. And I, except it was worse because I knew better. You know, I, I had a really guilty conscience and I know I just felt like God must be so disappointed with me. So I, what happened was I, I rededicated in 2011. Mm -hmm. I was dating a girl, uh, that ex stripper, to be honest, and terrible relationship. We were together for probably about a year and a half and we would, you know, break up every two weeks or so. And we'd get back together. Literally probably broke up about 20 times. Mm -hmm. So now I'm rededicating and I could feel God convicting me of the sex, you know, because he's, I remember <laughs> I could feel him convicting me. I tried to ignore it, to be honest. I was like, I'm like, I'm just going to, you know, have sex with just her and that'll be good, good enough. You know, like, cause we would break up and I would go sleep with other girls. Yeah. So I, I was like, I'm just going to sleep with her and you know, that, that, that should be good enough. But I could, I could feel God's conviction. I'll tell you a funny story. We were, we're at her place one day we were fooling around. We were making out, we were about to have sex. And I said, hold on, let me put some music on. So I go over, I grab her remote control and everything in Baltimore above 400 on Comcast is music stations. So I go mm -hmm. over, grab the remote and I hit 411 because it was just the fastest to hit 11. And I just yeah. really wanted to get it. I wanted to get started. Yeah. And all of a sudden gospel music comes on. <laughs> and I'm like, oh it. crap. I run over, <laughs> grab the remote. And I was like, hold on one second. I go down one <laughs> channel I go down one channel and the very first lyrics on the song, it was old school R&B. And I swear to you, this is true. It said, temptation's going to get me every time. That was the very first lyrics I heard. And I was like, oh, oh wow. God, I'm sorry. Can you talk about the difference between abstinence and celibacy? Mm, you know, so for me, I don't like the term celibacy. Okay. I don't, you know, I, I don't like the term celibacy because to me, I'm abstaining. For a period of time, meaning like I'm abstaining till marriage. I'm not celibate. Like to me, uh -huh. someone that's celibate is just someone that's kind of given up sex, you know, for religious reasons. I think that is the definition. But to me, I'm I'm abstinent currently. Mm -hmm. You know, for and I I challenge people to think about it from a selfish standpoint. That that's I think the thing that resonates so well with people that follow me is because I don't. Yes, it's I could I could explain it to you biblically and tell you it's a sin and you're breaking a commandment and the marriage bed should be kept pure and all the other stuff that you hear. Right. But I just want to explain it to you practically. Like if you don't do this, this is how it's going to play out more than likely. And mm -hmm. then people will go, oh, because the church doesn't tell you that. So like when I was mm -hmm. a kid, and I was going to church, you know, I had like I said, I had some exposure to it. They would tell you not to have sex, but they didn't tell you why. And if, right. you're, if you're hard-headed like me, I need to know why. <laughs> if I'm going to deny myself of that, you better tell yeah. you better be able to explain it to me. Yeah. So, so basically when I rededicate it, you know, God starts convicting me of the sex with, with the girlfriend. I agree to put it on the altar again. And we end up breaking up about three weeks later once we cut off the sex because, and that's something I talk about is because you get clarity when you're not mm -hmm. getting physical, you know, sex, sex 
people hide all the red flags. Oh yeah. Oh, so yeah. once we stopped, I got clarity. We ended up breaking up and you know, for the most part, outside of two mistakes uh, over the last eight years, I've been abstaining and, and I just really became the best version of myself because of it. But some, somewhere along the line of living at those two extremes, because from being very promiscuous to being completely absent for like 14, basically the last 20 years, mm -hmm. I really figured it out. And I can explain to people in a way that they can understand and go, oh, you know, and, uh, you know, about, I think it was about two years ago, I made a video called 10 reasons not to have sex before marriage. I posted on YouTube. Mm -hmm. It ended up going viral, it became the number up. one video in the world on the subject. Yeah. And then I wrote a book called why waiting works and became a bestseller. And so now I'm really passionate just about explaining it to people because no one's going to do it unless they understand it. If you under, I mean, you might do it just out of guilt because your parents told you not to, or the church tells you not to. And you're like, ah, they're, they're probably right, but I don't really understand it. But if people understand like who would work out if they didn't know that they were going to, it was going to make them look good. You like you, right. you put yourself through the pain of going to the gym because you're like, I want a six pack. That's right. So, <laughs> so I'm going to say, well, look, this is how to get what you really want most. This is how to get a, that great relationship and find your soulmate and, you know, find your purpose in life, you know, and become the yeah. best version of yourself. If you do this, let me show you how it works. So yeah. that's what I'm really passionate about. Sure. Um, I love the blog post that you had on boundaries. It's been a little while, but yeah. my listeners are primarily women who are in their mid to late thirties yes. um, to fifties, early fifties uh, who have never been married before. Mm. Now I know personally, as I reached my late thirties, I started to rethink my decisions as a man, what boundaries you put in yeah. place to keep from turning spooning into forking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, my boundaries are really strong and it's because of my past, mostly, you know, not everyone, I, don't, I tell everyone, they don't have to subscribe to my boundaries, but in order to have boundaries that work, you better be honest with yourself because yeah. most people, me included, you know, want to pretend that we can get away with more than we really can. And then what happens is you get burnt and those consequences are the, the exact same as if you haven't tried, you know, uh -huh. you're going to get the same consequences from that act that that's mess up as if you had never even tried. So my boundaries are, you know, I quit drinking back in 2012 and I was able to be absent. And I think for four, three or four years uh, from that point. And then I was, I'll just share a quick story with you. I was with a girlfriend. We were at my house watching uh, a movie. She was, we had been flirty with each other. We had never even kissed or held hands or anything. There was some mm -hmm. flirtation, but nothing, no physical at all. Yeah. And I remember not long before this, I talked to her and I said, I feel like this is dangerous, you know, like us hanging out the way that we do. Yeah. She made me feel like I was stupid, you know, like, or she just was like, that could never happen. We're too good of friends, blah, blah, blah. So I let her convince me, knowing that it wasn't true. Right. And the next time we hung out, we had sex. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, even if we make out, nah, it's not that bad. You know, I'm like, that's really not that bad. Yeah. I'm like, I, I could stop it. And we hung out and we started kissing and I could not stop. I couldn't grab the emergency break. I, I wanted uh, to. Yeah. And so, you know, your boundaries have to be really strong because, you know, Jesus says you have to treat sin very seriously. He says, gouge mm -hmm. your eye out, right? You know, that's, that, right. that's how serious, because that's how destructive it is, especially sexual sin. Sexual sin is the worst because it says, you know, all other sins a person commits outside the body, but a person sins sexually sins against their own body. And I yeah. really believe it has a lot to do with, you know, sex being a connection mechanism 
you know, people probably have heard of oxytocin, where you connect to people through sex. That's what the soul tie is all about, especially mm-hmm. women. Women, they connect to a man when yeah. they when they have sex. Men don't commit this. I mean, they don't. We don't attach the same way. We we attach when we commit, which yeah. is again why God had it right. If you wait till your wedding night, woman gives a sex, man gives his last name, and they lock together and, and you know become become one. They cleave. Yeah. So yeah, I would say your boundaries have to be very strong. You know, the whole people ask me, they're like, well, can I, can I spoon and can I cuddle? And I'm like, you know, if you, you have to weigh at risk, risk versus reward, if you're dating someone and you think you're pretty sure that you're moving toward marriage and you are going to, you know, lay on the couch, you got to watch a movie, you know, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. but you have to weigh the chance that you could end up having sex with that person and they'll not be your person. And yeah. now all of a sudden, you're going to, you know, potentially waste years, if not your whole life with the wrong person. If you're willing to risk that, you know, that's up to you. Right. But at least I would say, at least be sure that there's somebody that you probably are going to move toward marriage with, because that that very well could be the, the, the seal, seal the deal is, you know, if you have sex very well could be someone that now you're stuck with, you get pregnant, you get a soul tie, lots of things could happen. I will say one thing that I want to just add to, because when you were told me about your, you know, who your audience is, two things that I, I tell women, the main thing that stops women from making this decision, if they haven't already, of mm-hmm. waiting, you know, is fear. Because the enemy is always going to try to tempt you with fear. Yeah. To disobey. His, how he, tried, he tried to tempt me with the same thing. Not the exact same argument, but with fear. Women think, if I wait, who would wait? Who, mm-hmm. Nobody waits anymore. I'm never going to find a man if I wait. No one will wait. Right. So, but I want to challenge women. To, this is, I want you to, this is the reality. If a woman would have told the old me that she was waiting, I would have been like, deuces, bye. I would have left. If mm-hmm. a woman tells me the new me that she's waiting, you know what I do now? I lean in. I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Actually, I'm, a, I'm drawn to her because I've been waiting. I don't want, guess what? If a girl tells me that she's not waiting, you know what I do now? I ain't going to date no hoe yeah, after that's I've been right. working on myself. So what I'm saying is, yes, you'll go, you might have to be single a little longer, yeah. but you're going to go through the duds a lot faster and you'll get to the right one faster. So don't let the enemy try and trick you because he will. Yeah. He'll try to lie to you and tell you don't do this because nobody's going to wait. No, people will wait. You'll attract, you'll attract a higher caliber of person if you do it. That's right. And I think to your point uh, earlier, we have to remember that our bodies are a temple Amen. and we have to guard it. So that's good. What advice would you give to singles who have been married and are now trying to cope with their new sexual reality? You know, I haven't been married. Obviously I've been sexually active and it is much harder to stop once you start, you know, mm-hmm. which is why I tell people, people say it to me a lot. They're like, Oh, you know, you've had your fun. You know, I'm like, it doesn't work like that. It's like heroin. You don't get heroin out of your system. Yeah. You get a habit, you know, and then it, it becomes harder to, to not do it. So what I would say is, number one, you have to find a community of people that are like-minded to support you because you're going to need things to do and people to do them with. Yeah. You know, just because if Friday comes around, you might sit, you might sit in alone for, uh, you know, several weekends. Who knows how, how long you'll make it. But eventually you'll get bored, you'll get lonely, you might get depressed and you're, you know, you're going to act out that people get on Tinder and all these other sites for reasons I believe, because a lot of them are just lonely and depressed. Yeah. But I would say, so one thing I see a lot of right now, especially from divorced people is a lot of people will say, what if I never want to get married again? Mm -hmm. Because the, the experience is so painful 
get yeah. to pull, the pulling, the pulling apart of each other that they, 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 they're afraid to get married again because they get gun shy. And I, so a lot of times when I ask people, I'm like, but did you wait? And a lot of times they say no. And I'm like, well, so here's the thing. You didn't follow the instructions. Mm-hmm. It didn't turn out the way that you thought it would. And mm-hmm. now you want to blame it. So if I make a cake and I decide to put the icing on the cake before uh-huh. I stick it in the oven, I can't oh. blame the cake. Nope. You know what I mean? The cake isn't the problem. It's right. I didn't follow the instructions. Marriage works because as bad as I want the pleasure of sex, I equally don't want the pain of a divorce. Mm-hmm. And it's a perfect scale. You know, so because I, I mean, I'm, I, I do it all the time. There's pretty girls that I know, and some of them are willing to sleep with me. And I'm like, sometimes I want to. I want to. I'm like, right. I, I would like to sleep with her. I'm yeah. lonely. I'm si- I've been sitting around by myself a long time waiting for Mrs. Wright. But I also go to myself, would you sign the contract to do it? Would you sign the marriage? See, that's what I didn't do before. Mm-hmm. I, always, I always had sex early, drifted into the relationship, and then couldn't understand why I wasn't fulfilled. Now I'm doing it on the front end going, would you? Would you pay full price? Would you, would you sign the contract? You know, mm-hmm. which is what, if you look at the way it was in biblical times, there was no ceremony. Sex was marriage. It's basically like if you two have sex, you belong to each other. That's it. Yeah. You know, we'd like to treat it like it's recreation, you know, and I, mm. I did too because yeah. I didn't know better. But yeah. people need to wake up and realize that they're causing a lot more pain for themselves down the road. That's really good. Now, I know you're about to go on tour. That's yes. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So tell listeners how they can, uh, how they can find you sure. and a little bit about City Fam. Absolutely. So you can find me at, uh, Rob B. Kowalski, Kowalski with an I on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Those are my biggest platforms. Or you can go to robbkowalski.com and connect with me. I am getting ready to start a tour that begins in the UK called The Truth About Sex, where I'm going to be speaking mostly at churches, mm-hmm. but just you know, going around sharing uh, the talk and you know, hopefully, really hopefully starting small groups. Because I actually developed a small group curriculum to go with the book. It's called uh-huh. The Truth About Sex. And it's designed to help people get into community because when I did this the first six years, it was just a God awful time of my life where I didn't have great community. So it's not enough to convince people that it's the right thing to do. I felt like I needed to do my part in setting them up for success. So my goal is, is as I go around talking about it, is to start these small groups and hopefully some of them will mature into being chapters of, of city fam, which is the nonprofit I started. And that, that was the nonprofit is really just based off of, you know, when I was coming out of the, the, the bars and I was looking for a group of people to do life with, I mm-hmm. couldn't find anything out there. Like I said, the church people were nice. I didn't necessarily relate to them that well because I, I wasn't, I didn't view my, I wasn't religious, you know, mm-hmm. I knew that Jesus was real. I right. knew he was the son of God. And that, but I didn't, I, I, they just weren't like me and they weren't doing a lot. So right. I, I just, you know, struggled through it. But at City Fam, we, what we believe is that people need uh, a community of people to belong, be loved, and to become the best version of themselves. They have to have community for those things. And then, so we do, do that by uh, organizing social events. So we call mm-hmm. it Fun Without Regrets. Yeah. And then we go out and we volunteer together. And then you build some really strong relationships. But a lot of our, you know, social events are, you know, a lot of times in bars or, you know, sporting events or whatever. But the, what, why I think it works so well is, is, number one, I don't mind being in a bar if I'm with the right group of people. You know, I don't want to be in a bar if I'm what, the one guy trying to go this direction when 99 people are going the opposite direction. 
Right. But if I take 50 city fan people with me, we change the temperature of the bar. Yeah. Yeah. The thermostat. And all of a sudden now people are drawn to us because they're looking, they're seeing a group of people. They're not getting drunk. They're not hooking up with each other. They're going after their goals, becoming a better version of themselves. And they're like, well, well I can relate to that mm-hmm. versus going to a church and then living some lifestyle that's completely foreign to them because they're like, I, you know, just white knuckle in it, stay in every, every weekend and white knuckle it. It gives you an outlet for a social life, but it also is really a really effective way of reaching people because we're meeting people where they are, you know, yeah. which again, if I look at, if I look at, you know, Jesus, the way he did ministry, he met people where they were. He was at Matthew's That's house. Right. The religious people didn't get it then. A mm-hmm. lot of times they don't get it now that we wait for people to come to us. We invite them to church mm, come on. and they don't, and they don't do it, you know, yeah. because it's like, they think God hates them. They, 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 you know, they have all these preconceived notions about what, a Christian is and they don't know the words of the songs and all the other reasons that they don't come That's versus right. if we just, if they just met some good people that loved one of them a little bit, they would be like, they'd be all in, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's for us has been, even though we're not faith-based, I always have to throw that out there. City fam isn't faith-based by design because we always want to make sure that we keep it very welcoming to people, regardless of their faith affiliation or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. So that, so if anybody's interested in that, you can check that out at cityfan.com. One day we hope to have chapters in every you know city in the world, because we just know that there's people out there that are just, they're either, you know, making bad decisions, wondering like, Hey, what's the alternative? Or they're yeah. making good decisions going, you know, like sitting around every weekend bored, lonely going, well, what else do I do with myself? Yeah. And I love it. I love the nonprofit aspect of it because if we truly are, Christ followers, people will see it as we walk it out. And we have to remember, it's not y'all come. Jesus said, go, go and make disciples. So you go and you bring people alongside with you and they start to see how you're living your life differently. And that makes the biggest difference. Sending you out as sheep among wolves. Yeah. We we don't do that. And it frustrates me because I see, we forget how bad it was without them. Mm, You know, when we're out there, and we, so we get into our yeah. nice community, we get into our church, we found a safe place and we sit there on our pew and we forget about all these people that are out there without him dying, yeah. you know, yeah. the world is struggling. And so for us, it's just been a really practical way for us to go. It, it's given me a social life, but it's mm-hmm. made it very intentional because I, I'm not there just to hang out with my friends. Right. I'm there to reach people and to have a good time, you know? Yeah. So that's what City Fam is, is for us. That's it. I just have a few rapid fire questions. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Uh, first of all, give a shout out to your church. Yeah. Epic church here in Baltimore, Maryland. You can find it at epicbaltimore.com. Um, who's your celebrity crush? Wow. Gosh, I don't even know that I have one. <laughs> you know, I watched a movie last night. So one thing we do at city fam every Valentine's day, a group of the single guys make dinner for all the single girls in the group. Oh, that's cool. So we watched this, uh, it was called last Christmas and the girl from, so the girl from game of Thrones, she was in, she's pretty cute. Uh, but I don't really have a, a celebrity. Crush. Okay. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't have one. So what's your favorite movie? I can give you my top five. Okay. Give it. Okay. Gladiator, Braveheart, Shawshank Redemption, The Matrix, mm. and Passion of the Christ. Nice. Five, my top five. Favorite book? Uh, the Bible. You know, that, All right. Yeah. And then I would say Mere Christianity was another book that impacted me. That is so good. Yes, I've got that. I've been reading through it this year. 
And favorite TV series? I don't, I don't watch much TV. That's I'm so fair. passionate about what God's put in front of me. Like, I work a lot. And hopefully it won't always be like this. I don't know that I'll get into a television series, but yeah, not, I don't have it. What is your, what is your life verse or uh, a passage of scripture you've been sitting in lately that is really getting you fired up? Yeah. The verse that God's been speaking to me regularly about lately has been Joshua 1 9 so you know I I went through this wilderness period period when I rededicated my life to him and it's been it's been hard you know the Mm -hmm. last eight years have not been easy you know very difficult not only financially just being alone coming off of you know alcohol and you know starting new relationships new friendships so it's been very Mm -hmm. very challenging and not only and that also in building the organization I was at Creation Festival a couple of years ago, and I bought the, uh, the somebody had these beaded bracelets with verses on it. Joshua one nine was the verse that I bought, and yeah. um, I, I wore it for you know, like I said, probably about two years. I was on a plane flying from Romania. Uh, I had a, a stop in London, and w- when I was about to land, I noticed that this journal that someone bought me. The tag in it was Joshua one nine. I never even paid attention to it before. Yeah, H- had the journal for over a year. And it said, be strong and courageous. I'll be with you wherever you go. Didn't really think a lot of it. Plane landed. I get out. I meet this group in London that's actually uh, on the, in the process of becoming a city fam. Talked to them. Did my, my, my talk about sex. And then they gave me a, a, a gift for my birthday. I unwrapped it. And on the coffee cup was Joshua 1-9. I was like, wow. <laughs> like, it was so clear that God's saying, I'm going to be with you. Yeah. And now, of course, the tour is getting ready to start. So that's, that's the verse I think that's really he's been speaking to me. Thank you so much for your time. I just pray blessings over you as you travel. And I'm going to be encouraging everybody to grab this book. Keep up the great work. Absolutely. Let me just give you your your listeners a gift because I'm about to launch this promotion where I'm going to give the book, the ebook, the audio book, the study guide, some videos, and actually some audio clips all the way for free. Awesome. So they just, they just have to pay for shipping and handling to get the book. And it's at whywaitingworks.net. So the book, the book website is .com where they can buy it for 20 bucks. But if they mm-hmm. want to get it for free, they go to whywaitingworks.net and they can go ahead and get it for free. Guys, go out and grab that for yourselves right now. Well, all right. What'd you think about that? That was good. Did you get some of those gems in there? Hey, if you didn't catch everything, go to our Instagram page at The Season Single and The Season Single on Facebook and you'll be able to find quotes. You'll hear some snippets uh, that we'll share of this audio because he dropped some truth. Don't forget that he has free resources for you to grab off his website, whysexcanwait.net. And do me a favor, if you enjoyed this, let me know. The first way you can do that is by going to iTunes and rating the podcast and giving us a review. If you share it with a couple people, that'll be great. That helps more people to be able to find it. The second way is to follow us on social media, Instagram and Facebook, and join our mailing list at www.theseasonsingle.com. All right, guys. Well, that's it. Thanks so much again for listening. And remember, in the meantime and in between time, while God is still working on you, sex can wait.